Hey guys, welcome back to the Anchor Room. We have an awesome two for one this week as I get to interview two people at the same time. And so if you were uh, well present or with us live streaming Monday Night Live this past week, we got to hear from one of our very own alumni, um, Andrew Foster. And so I have here with us Andrew and his wife, Jess Foster. Say hello, guys. Hello. hello. It's good to be here. Welcome. Yeah. And if you notice any weird uh, electronic robotic sounds, it's because we are recording this via Zoom as they are on the road and getting their things done as uh, missionaries. Well, anyway, just like for those who do, may not know who Andrew and Jess Foster are, they are missionaries to the uh, to Granada, Spain, and for many years, Kyle UVA has had an excellent relationship with our uh, uh, excellent partnership, I should say, with our missionary partners there. And for many years, almost a decade now, we have consistently been sending give a years. Um, and Andrew will get into that a little bit here. Um, and so recently, we were in Spain. And a little thing called coronavirus broke out. Um, and so that's kind of where I'd like to begin here. Uh, if you uh, could just share a little bit about what ministering in the one of the European epicenters of coronavirus has been like for you. We got on a plane on Thursday and life quickly turned around for you guys. So tell us um, a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. We, um, as you were saying a ago, we had... Uh, we were hosting UVA Chi Alpha the week yeah. that coronavirus hit, and we had our last event of that week on a Wednesday, and by Saturday, the country was shut down. Yeah. Um, we weren't allowed uh, to leave our apartment except to go to the grocery store, the pharmacy, or the hospital for nine weeks, um, so you couldn't even leave to exercise, to um, sit in a park, go for a walk, anything like that. And so it, it really radically changed, um, one, what we thought the, the spring was going to look like in terms of the ministry and then how we yeah. were doing ministry. Um, but truthfully, it was amazing. Even in lockdown, the ability to continue to connect with people, and especially in those early days, the novelty of Zoom and connecting over calls and uh, a lot of the one-on-one -on -one ministry that we had been doing, you know, over a cup of coffee, we were still able to do as students were returning back to, to their hometowns and still, still being able to do Zoom calls and study the Bible with people and just maintain relationship with people. And then some of the weekly outreach events that we organized, like an English club, we were able to move online in some way. And so it looked very different. Um, within the four walls of our apartment and in front of the computer screen. Yeah. But we, we adapted as best we could. And um, maybe Jesse should share about the group of. One of the things that we were most um, surprised by and encouraged by is that our life group Bible study um, actually increased in size during COVID. And I think that was largely because people were available yeah. Um, but also looking for a source of hope and a source of grounding and um, people were really excited to 
connect via Zoom and look at scripture and discuss. And a lot of our friends expressed um, just real gratitude for the community mm -hmm. um, of the, the cultural center. Yeah, I think it was really interesting too. And um, we wouldn't wish to go through that season of ministry again. Um, but one of the things that the Lord did do is as people were shaken and um, kind of the ground that they were standing on was, was moved, uh, it, we did see an openness in people that was different, um, not new necessarily in a lot of people, but different. And that I think also drove some of the like Grupo de Vida, the life group, interest in studying the Bible, just came back. From, um, once we were able to kind of leave our apartment this summer, she came back from meeting with a young woman. And this young woman said to you, and correct me if I'm wrong, she said, I feel like I have a hole in my heart and I don't know how to fill it. Mm. Do you know the answer? Wow. And, and so there's, there was in some ways this incredible mm -hmm. openness and opportunity probably to continue to share the hope of Jesus and, and how he's a firm anchor for us in the midst of a storm like that. And I think, yeah, those conversations continued even in the midst of COVID. Yeah, that's so, that's so cool to hear, you know, and I wanted to begin there because I think um, maybe for many of us in America, I know March and April were like these months where we were all just, you know, encaged here and and I think it's it's helpful for us to realize the good work that God was doing in the midst of the storm, like you said, around the world. You know, like you guys were there. You didn't leave. You 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 stayed there. And like many other missionaries in Europe and across the world, people were still people still have spiritual needs, and you were mm -hmm. still uh, doing the the good work of of spreading the gospel, of, of being the hands and feet of Jesus to um, your Spanish friends there. Um, so yeah, thank you for sharing that and giving us that perspective. And and maybe I'd like to backtrack a little bit now and just have you guys tell us about Spain. Why Spain? What is the mission there? And uh, yeah, what is it exactly that you guys do there apart from eating tapas late at night? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't know what a lot of you might think of when you think of Spain or, or Europe. Um, I think a lot of people may think of a vacation spot or um, sunny beaches, old buildings, um, even cathedrals. Um, but the reality is in, in Spain um, where we live, uh, only about 1.1% 1 of Spanish people actually have a relationship with Jesus. Um, and so why Spain? We went with the burden on our hearts that 99% of folks don't know someone who knows someone who could articulate to them the good news of the gospel. Um, and we've been living in Granada for the past three years, serving on a church planting team whose mission is to plant communities of faith among secular Spanish people. Yeah, I think in that um, many times people think of Spain and, and they think of Christendom or the Catholic Church or this really cool cathedral I saw one time in Cordoba. Or, um, and we have all these associations with Christian words and, and, and a lot of forms. 
but the modern or i should say contemporary spanish person especially under the age of 50 the primary worldview the primary perspective they're coming from is that this whole god at the center thing we we need to move beyond that mm. that we've tried that and it hasn't worked and so we need to move beyond that and so when we talk about secularism and, and just mentioned that our team's vision is to plant communities of faith among secular Spanish people. When we talk about secularism, that's what really the core of what we're talking about is a, a worldview that says we need to move beyond this idea that God would ever need to be the center of anything. And instead, there's the elevation of the self. And, and so the self, me, I kind of sit at the center of the universe and I determine what is true and good and right and worth pursuing. And I, in a sense, become the prime definer of, of reality. And what that breeds in a lot of people is, um, as we've lived and ministered there for many years, it, it breeds, on the one hand, um, apathy, mm. the spiritual apathy of there's, there's really no point in even having the conversation about mm. spiritual things if what's good for you is good for you and what's good for me is good for me, because why are we even talking about it? I don't really care what you believe because just believe it and that's fine. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it breeds this sort of spiritual apathy where I can't tell you the number of times we've talked to people and they said to us, no one has ever asked me that question before. I've, I don't have anyone I can talk to about these sorts of things. Wow. I've never even thought about this before. And, and it's because there's this latent spiritual apathy that exists, I think, because um, it's really a byproduct in some ways of, of a worldview that says, I am the one that defines what is true and good and, and right. And, and in a way, so are you. Mm. Um, and so I think the spiritual environment really is that way. And it's not oppressive in the way that we think of normally it, what it's sort of like is slowly, it's like being pulled down slowly and slowly um, this weight around people, I think. So, and so that's when we say, you know, it's kind of surprising for people. What do you mean? You know, only 1% of people know Jesus. And it's really, it's really because of that in a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think what, what ends up happening when we put ourselves as the ones in the center, we realize that we're not strong enough. We're not smart enough. We're not good enough. Right. That quickly, you know, gets torn off its throne, so to speak. Right. Well, you know, oops, sorry, Regan. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, go. Well, I was just going to say, I think even as Christians, we all struggle. And I think part of it is because we swim in a secular world or a world that teaches us a secular worldview. But even as Christians, it's, we try and, you know, find, uh, put ourselves at the center and I'm the determiner of my own fate. And there's just constant, Jesus, I think, is constantly stripping us of that. Um, but as believers and as disciples of Jesus, what, when that is stripped away, we're brought back to true reality, that Jesus is the definer of reality, and he is, shows grace and mercy time and again for us. But what happens to you when, when you discover that you aren't smart enough, you aren't good enough, you aren't strong enough to carry the weight of the pressure of having to define your own reality. If you're a failure, it's your fault. Mm -hmm. That's that's what that is. And so, and if your worldview says, well, we've moved 
on from God. God would never even be a possibility as, as an answer. What do you have left? Yeah, and I think it, there's this avoidance of pain and avoidance of having to deal with that reality that we see a lot too in a lot of our, our friends there of, I don't even want to think, sorry. I was going to say that, that that's a, a, a great way of you kind of describing the behind the scenes of what this young lady that just ran into told her, right? Like, I feel like there's this void in my heart and I don't know how to fill it. Do you know the answer? You know, right. saying that. Right. Yeah, that friend also articulated the stress that she carries by having to determine what is right and what is true and what is meaningful and that she feels like she carries around a weight because of that um and it is it is a weight and it and it can be crushing um i mean as believers we know and believe that we weren't created to (laughs) carry that weight (laughs) and there's actually the greatest freedom in the fact that jesus is on the throne absolutely yeah, so, you know, speaking of who is on the throne and putting our faith in him, um, what have been maybe some of the, the biggest leaps of faith you've had to make serving in the field the last few years as you're dealing with, you know, a sector of the population that believes that, you know, they are at the center and, you know, all the challenges that come with apathy and, and all these things that, that you deal with? What have been some of the biggest uh, leaps of faith you guys have had to undergo? I think um, when you start, we left and had the idea in our brains of serving among the lost 99%. Um, But I think the reality of living in that um, is very hard. And some of the leaps of faith have just had to do with trusting the Lord with our friends' journeys. Um, We've seen uh, many of our friends have taken many years to walk the steps of faith towards Jesus. And um, I think something that personally the Lord has challenged me in is knowing and believing his worth. for our friends, for the sake of our friends. Um, Because when you are a first generation believer in Spain, to make a decision for Jesus in a context where most everyone has said, like we tried the God thing and it didn't work. Um, A lot of our friends coming to know Jesus means that they would be ostracized from their families or what does community look like when I don't know any other Christians who are my age? Um, and I'll never forget one of my closest friends was just commenting on the desire to meet uh, a Christian man and um, the desire to pursue a relationship, a romantic relationship with a man who also loves Jesus. And that was both really beautiful to hear and really hard because I, don't know anyone in her sphere who would fit that <laughs> that description. Um, and it is those moments where I have to trust, Jesus, you are more than enough for this friend. And you are truly the greatest good for them, even with the cost. And I won't ever fully understand what that cost feels like, because I'm not a first-generation 
mm. believer. Wow, that's so good. Wow, that's that's that really gives us a lot of great perspective into the cost that a you know a, a probably a traditional Spanish person would have to consider in order to become a Christian, right? It's more than just changing your status on your social media profile, but it has actual consequences for your potential social life, your romantic life in a place like that. Mm -hmm. Man, yeah, mm -hmm. wow. So I know a big part of what you guys do in Granada is also uh, being a training center uh, for missionaries and workers into Europe, um, not just in Spain, but, you know, other places as well. But yeah, could you talk to us a little bit about what the um, fellows programs, uh, the fellows program that you guys have is? And yeah, I'd love to just uh, have some of our students hear about what they would get, get an opportunity to do if they give a year like you did, Andrew. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, just talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, so as you said, Rigo, there's been this really beautiful partnership between UVA Chi Alpha and the team in Granada for the better part of the decade. And I am a product of that partnership in a way. I graduated in 2014 and, and served as a given year in Granada with the team there for, uh, for a year. And the way that our give year pro program functions, it's called a fellowship because it's a cooler name than just give year. Um, give years who work with us are called fellows. But there are three elements to, to that. Um, the first element is what we would call just participating in team life. And so as a team, um, in terms of, and when I say team, I mean the long-term workers who are there. We regularly have times of intercession, regular times of spiritual formation where we are being together as a team and praying for one another and loving one another and deepening our understanding of what is the context we live in. We're constantly learning about Spain and about secularism and about how can we communicate the gospel. And so part of the fellows program is participating in, in that, in that sort of um, team development, personal and spiritual development side of things. The second element I would say would be uh, language schools. So every give year who comes to work with us, every fellow uh, comes on a student visa. And so uh, you take Spanish classes at a local university and that does a number of things for you. One, it, well, you learn Spanish and you're learning culture and learning how to articulate the gospel in a foreign language. And you're also meeting students. It's an enormous thing because so much of what we do in Granada is student um, based ministry to university students. And then the third element is, is actual on the ground ministry to people. Mm -hmm. um, one of the biggest gifts that fellows offer to our team is a wide open schedule and the willingness to meet a lot of people. Um, and so I remember the first thing I did when I landed in Spain was I got a Spanish phone number and uh, Sean said, okay, now go print out your phone number and hang it up in the university and see who calls you. And, and that's what I did. And that was a lot of my year was just meeting with people and getting to know them and share Jesus with them, uh, invite them to be a part of the church, invite them to certain outreach events. And really that's, that's the biggest aspect, I think, of the fellows program is meeting people, meeting people, meeting people and sharing Jesus with them. I don't know if you would add anything to that. Yeah, so um, 
a big question that maybe a lot of people are wondering is, are you guys taking fellows next year? What is that going to look like? And yeah. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. We want to encourage people. Um, there's actually a couple that are doing a, the fellows program right now. Um, so even in the midst of kind of the height still of coronavirus happening, they're there and they got there and you and Bay can they, be a fellow. There we go. Gotta put it exactly. Right <laughs> and they will be a gift to our team and to the work on the ground. And um, so absolutely, we highly encourage people um, to apply and. Um, we don't know exactly what life will look like, you know, next um, school year, but uh, there's still work to be done. And um, Amen. yes, we believe that it will be really significant. Yeah. So I hope any of you guys listening can, you know, take that to heart and know that there's a lot of good work still ahead um, and that you can be a part of the answer to the prayers that the team in Granada has been praying. And so, hey, guys, as we get ready to close up, um, what maybe, what would you say to somebody who might be in, at the cusp of a decision, if that's how you say it? I always get my American idioms mixed up. <laughs> I don't know why. It's been years, but I still, I, every time I say something like that, I'm like, is that the right way? Anyway. Honestly, me too, Rigo. <laughs> Great. I'm, I'm glad I'm not the only one. So what would you say to somebody who might be at a crossroads, um, considering minute uh long term or just a season in ministry uh, or missions or marketplace and 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 they might have just heard you or missions in europe and yeah i'd just love to what would you tell somebody who is considering missions let's just put it that way simply <laughs> we don't want to oversell or undersell what god does when he calls people to missions um, on the one hand, I think we have a tendency to over-spiritualize, over-emotionalize mm -hmm. what a call looks like. Um, and it doesn't have to be uh, dramatic or cataclysmic for the Lord to be calling you for a season or for the long term to serve among the least reach of the world. Um, that's certainly not been our story. The Lord has been faithful. And there are moments that we can point to and say, the Lord stirred something in us then. And, and there are those moments. But in between those moments of, man, emotion and, and the Lord stirring something in our hearts is simply Jesus being faithful to walk with us in each step. Amen. Now, we also don't want to undersell what a call is. I would say that a prerequisite for feeling called to serve is sensing a sincere burden for lost people. And even more specifically than that, a sincere burden for the people of a specific place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think the Lord, it's not a give year program, is not a gap year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's not for everyone. Yes. And that's okay. Yeah. Um, but what we, long for and what we ask Jesus for in the fellows who come and join us are people who have a burden for the lost, people who are teachable and humble, mm -hmm. and, and people who are willing to learn. Um, and I think if you can categorize yourself in that way, 
Mm-hmm. Um, then there's something too. Yeah, maybe the Lord is calling me to to pursue this, and and so in that I I hope I'm articulating that clearly that we don't a call does not mean that I fell on the ground as though blind and the Lord said go, mm-hmm. but a call doesn't also mean that everyone's called because we don't believe that's true. There's somewhere in the middle of I feel a burden and I'm willing to learn um, where I think the Lord meets us and walks with us. Uh, And so if that's you, I would encourage you to continue to process, um, you know, Jesus, I'm willing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. What does that mean? And process that with someone wiser and older than you. Process that with somebody who knows your story, knows where you have been. Um, and, And... yeah, allow the Lord to kind of speak to you in, in sincere prayer and, and wise counsel and, and see where that develops. We also want to encourage um, maybe give two years. <laughs> um, we Our hope and our prayer is that uh, the Lord would raise up long-term missionaries, um, and, and he has, and, and he will continue, we believe, raising up long-term workers out of UVA Chi Alpha. Um, and so if you have felt a burden, we would even encourage and challenge you, um, give a year isn't the be all end all, give two years and, and trust the Lord what he would do with that time. That's so true. I think just to add something really quickly to that, we've been in Spain for three and a half-ish years. And um, the first year that we were there was really good and we learned a lot. But honestly, I don't know if we would have felt called to the long term mm. if we didn't do the second year. Mm. That in that second year, there's so much that the Lord consolidates and teaches and, and, and really just burns on your heart that um, it sets you up for long-term health and a really just a better experience on the field than just a simple year. Yeah. So I think that's a good point. And something to consider that um, there, it is possible to give two years. <laughs> you don't have to give just one. Uh, and in fact, maybe your experience might feel more um, meaningful or, or even just you'll feel more settled and, and find a rhythm to life that you wouldn't find just giving 10 months or a year. And there's plenty of work to do. So yeah, years, we can get a lot done in that time. Mm-hmm. So... Hey, well, thanks, guys, for giving us more of your time and, and spending uh, your precious words on, on our students. We really appreciate the way that you guys um, sewed into our students this week and for the conversations, the coffee cups, and the, the laughs that you shared with several of our students. Um, and so, hey, guys, I just want to encourage you to um, tune into that uh, MNL live stream message from Andrew this past Monday, if you haven't had a chance. It was really great. And we were so blessed to have him share with us. And also, hey, if um, maybe you're feeling that tug uh, to go to Europe or to serve in some way with secular peoples, I wanna encourage you guys to also give. We're also raising a special offering for the Fosters and the Ministry Center Raices in uh, Granada, Spain. Hey guys, um, well, just want to uh, sign off really quickly. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, Andrew, Jess, any, any parting words?
Thanks so much yeah, for having us. It truly was uh, just a, a privilege to be able to be with you all this past week. We really love the UVA Chi Alpha family. Amen. Appreciate you guys. We love you guys. All right, guys, signing off from the Anchor Room. See you out there. Have a great week.